Hello, Mosaic. Good morning. <laughs> My name's Brianna. Um, I've been attending Mosaic for the past, well, COVID years. Hello. <laughs> Hi. And as you might be able to tell, I serve with the middle schoolers. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> middle school. Um, I am currently the kind of sixth grade huddle leader. Um, so I get to um, spend Wednesday night with the sixth grade girls, which is a blast. Um, and my husband, Matt, and I serve together in youth. And then we just bought a home in Lentz, which is so fun. So we've got to be with the um, Southeast community for supper, which has been so awesome. Um, so this week we're going to be reading through Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 17. Um, I almost forgot, y'all. At the end of this, <laughs> I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, and together we'll say thanks be to God. All right. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a, to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what had been done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves. Oh, wait. Where were we? Thank you. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for this whole crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. Then he gave them to the, to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, we seem to be introducing ourselves this morning. I would have forgotten. I'm Becky. I'm part of the teaching team here. I know many of you. I can't see any of you because <laughs> of the light, but that's fine. I know who you are. Um, and I don't mind the light. I'm doing great. Um, last week, if you were here or watching with us or heard the sermon or watched it later in the week, you know that Tim taught about a miracle that Jesus did where he literally raised, I'm using that word in the right way, he literally raised 
a young girl from the dead. Oh, and on the way, he just happened to brush by someone and heal her from a sickness she had been suffering with for 12 years that left her unable to even, like she shouldn't have even been in the crowd. When he's like, who touched me? She was probably like, oh no, I'm going to jail. Like, I am not supposed to be here. Miraculous story. And then we turn to, and we get to this one, and I'm like, okay, two fish, five loads of bread, even if they were really, really big loaves, that's a lot of people to feed. But he literally just raised someone from the dead. So how am I going to follow that? I mean, I know it's not on me. I get that, but I'm human, and these are the things that I think about when I'm getting ready. And then I sat down and read the passage, and you guys just did too, and God just washed over me the way that he does by his own grace when I'm really wrestling through a passage, which I shouldn't be worried about how to make feeding 5,000 people with two fish dramatic, but I was. And he says, no, wait, there's something else going on. So this morning, I get to introduce you to the same God that I read about in the Old Testament, except for this time his name is Jesus, and he has flesh and skin and bones, and he walks among us. And he's showing himself to be the most patient and compassionate teacher to those who really should already know that about him. And that wows me time and time again, because I identify as one who should know about God's faithfulness and what it means to rely on him. I mean, I'm supposed to know that. And the number of times that I'm like, Lord, how is this going to happen? Or, um, well, let me just say this. You know how everybody has their little tagline underneath their uh, email greeting, like, rejoicing in the empty casket, or wherever you send me, I will go, or mine this year would be like, I've got nothing left to give you. <laughs> that would be my tagline. I've probably said it. If you have talked to me this year, you have probably heard it out of my mouth. And yet I'm supposed to know that he's the one sustaining me. And what he does in this story is the coolest thing. He compassionately takes care of the ministry and reassures his 12. What it, he shows them literally what it means to rely on him. So let's go back and read through this passage. Brianna, you did. I love when you're up here. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> you'll notice some of the words didn't match what she was saying, what was on the screen. That's because she uses a good Bible and I use an old Bible, but the story's all the same. The words are all there. So we're going to, um, we're going to read through this. I want to ask you a quick question first. How, it seems irrelevant, but trust me, I'm going somewhere with it. Um, how do you guys pack for a trip? A list. <laughs> yeah, I make a list. My husband starts packing in advance. If our plane is leaving at 3 a.m., I'm like running around the house at 2. 
<laughs> oh, and we need this, and I, because I finally don't need any more stuff, so I can pack it all at once. <laughs> Whew. I was looking on Facebook the other day, and I saw, yes, I'm a boomer. Um, I saw some article about, like, oh, did you know that vacations actually make couples fight? I didn't even read the article. I'm like, Phew. Duh, <laughs> because he's going to pack in advance, and she's going to pack last minute, or maybe you're the other one around, etc. Jesus gives his instructions to his disciples, and I don't know that there's anyone in here, maybe this is your chance, middle schoolers, to like go, me, because my son would, although he just switched to high school, he'd kill me if he were here. He's not, he's fishing, we're good. Um, he gives instructions that we would never use. In fact, they would probably cause our marriage to implode, or they would give us a common enemy. We'd be like, Jesus, you're... I won't even say it. <laughs> you can't do that. He tells them, you're going to go out and heal people in my name, but don't take anything with you. If someone told me not to take anything with me, I would limit myself to a backpack. Right? Like, no formal suitcase. And he's like, nothing. No food. Okay. Not even a staff. Now, I don't usually walk around with a staff, <laughs> but when I go hiking, sure, it's great to have something to lean on. I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing even the symbolism of the staff as something for protection, something to lean on. He's like, nope, it's you. I provide everything else. Read with me. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. That probably should have been the part that stunned me this week, because that's pretty cool, but I was stuck on the next part. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick, and he told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra clothes. Like, just get up and go. I don't know about you guys, but that would not fly in my house. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, just shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. That just astounds me. In fact, the text is almost just going to jump over that the same way it did the first verse. He gave them power to drive out demons and heal people, and then they went and drove out demons and healed people. We got to move on. I'm like, like, what kind of people? Like, they get new eyeballs? Could they suddenly walk? Like, this is crazy, and the text just kind of moves along. Except that it tells us, now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed, because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. I'm not entirely sure what's going on with there. I want that plot to finish, like, oh, no, is Jesus? Is this where Jesus is going to get captured by Herod? And, blah, blah, blah. and then it just kind of leaves that plot for a while, and we're going to get to the feeding of the 5,000. But what it does show me is that these little miracles that these people are doing from village to village, even Herod's hearing about it, 
And he's not after the disciples. He doesn't go, okay, I hear there are 12 men. We got to go get them. He knows they're from one source. That's, I don't like to make overgeneralizations about what we're supposed to know from a thing that happened in history one time and is relayed to us. Because I came from a church background where we would emulate the wrong thing sometimes. We'd be like, oh, okay, to get God to do what you want, you've got to go out with no food. No, what I want you to see here is the character, the way that God behaved that one time. He said, I'm going to give you power and authority. You're going to go out and do these things in my name. And you're going to have to rely on me completely because that's the only way this happens. God has an incredible knack all through scriptures for making sure that the stuff he does through his people is so astounding and the people, <laughs> I was going to say so ill-equipped, but they're just people. <laughs> so people, so ill-equipped, so unprepared, so womanizing, hot-headed, selfish, self-ambitious, pure, pure, no, sorry, poor, <laughs> so something that it obviously didn't come from them. And this text tells us that one of the, the way he's doing this right now, he's saying, go and go with nothing, and you have to rely completely on me. That's a, that's a hard call. I know that's a hard call, and I'm suspecting that just about everyone in here also knows that that's a hard call. Because we who have a relationship with him are all tasked with representing him somewhere. And if you're like me, after these past two years, you know my tagline, I got nothing left. <laughs> nothing left. And the reminder that God gave me this week comes through this next story. Not just the reliance on him. I, I'm still going to pack a lunch to go to school, I promise. Or money and go buy one. I'm not going to just walk around. You know, I'm not taking the wrong takeaway from this. We're clear. But he's saying it's through me. Even Herod knew it was through him. But watch what happens next. And this is the part that really ministered to me. Next section, when the apostles returned, so as Luke's telling this to us, he says, they reported to Jesus what they had done. So look, oh yeah, we went out and we healed people. Cool. There are other things in that passage above, by the way. There are other things we could have talked about. But, but look, we did what you said. <clears throat> And then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. I'm reading in this summer break, like a weekend away. I did just take three solid weeks off where my husband was also off, and my kids knew better than to ask for so much as a friend over. And we had a wonderful time. And then I took a week off to like gently prepare to go back to school, just a little bit, just dip my toes in. I went to work for three days. By the end of day three, I literally 
yelled at a colleague. Or no, it was really bad, I apologized. It's all worked out. One of my bosses came in, helped smooth everything over. I had nothing left. I'd been gone for three weeks. I come back, I'm like, look, super spiritual. Becky is back in the house. We're gonna do this together. Smile. Someone said that day, and she was like, oh, I've missed your cheery voice. And I was like, I have too. Look, it's back. Yeah, four hours later. I'm like, well, I already knew that. It was nasty. I won't even try to make it funny. It was nasty. Because I'm tired still. In three weeks, it's going to take more than three weeks, right? So then I have this little reminder in my head that I have to teach this. So I open up the scriptures, and this is what I see to my tired self. These people withdraw to a town, but the crowds hear about it and follow him. And he welcomed them, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. So God steps up to the front, and he's doing all this stuff. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we're in a remote place. He replied, give them something to eat. And they answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. There's about 5,000 of them there. Now, if I were more tech savvy on the screen behind me, and I know Chris can do it and they can all do it back there, but I'm just a wimp and I'll forget. Last night, my husband sent me, this is my picture. (laughs) Last night, my husband sent me a picture. He and Haven and a friend of Haven's from school are out on a fishing trip and they're out in the woods and I was a little jealous, although I did get the house to myself for like three days. Thus the smile this morning. Anyway, (laughs) and so he sends me this picture of their campfire. That's what we send to each other and when we're camping. And this is the way to make the rest of the family jealous because you send it in the whole family group chat, you know. And but it's this fire in this fire pit that we made last time we were out there, and on the fire are three hamburger patties. I'm like, honey. I thought this was a fishing trip. (laughs) He said, yeah, but only Haven caught a fish. So apparently, all of a sudden I'm like, honey, one fish, three people, two fish, 5,000. Like, (laughs) eat it and suck it up. (laughs) But it kind of, in a way that like, I was trying with all these numbers, I'm like dividing into groups of 50, that's 100 groups. How can I impress on people how big this was? Well, that did it for me. Like one fish can't feed three guys that are hungry from fishing all day. So they made hamburgers. Okay, so we get like, the bigness of this. Remember, too, we also pick on the uh, disciples sometimes because we're like, you just healed people. You just cast out demons. You serve a God who raises people from the dead, tells storms to stop blowing, walks on water, and accidentally heals people when he just walks by and you're freaking out over food, we tease them. But I don't tease them anymore because I have seen myself in them so many hundreds of times. I'm like, well, duh. Yeah, of course they're struggling here. But watch what he does. This is so beautiful. And I don't think it's coincidence that this story is about food as the symbol. I mean, story. When I say story, I believe with all my heart and soul this really happened. 
and I believe everybody was amazed because it shouldn't be something that can happen. But remember, it's about a man who just literally raised someone from the dead. So fish, no problem. So when I say story, I'm talking about the fact that the author is telling us this happened. But the way he tells us is beautiful. Because I have always seen it as all these people out there, and God takes the little and he multiplies it to the many, which is phenomenal. That's what he does in his kingdom work. But this time in my exhausted, how do I walk forward and keep serving you without yelling at people? Like literally, that's my goal at the end of the day. I know how to do my job. Can I do it well without hurting someone? Please, God, help me. In that state, what I saw that while he was, you know, healing and saving the world, we use that phrase so glibly, uh, he's not like disarming a nuclear weapon and you know, it's not going to blow, we're going to make it. No, he's saving the world for all eternity. And while he's doing that, on the side, he's with tender compassion, looking on these 12 who have been asked to literally not even lean on a stick, but lean on him, depend on him for everything. And they've gone and they've done it, and now they're exhausted. And while he's feeding everyone, he's showing them, I am so much more than enough. I am so much more than enough. You're not serving me out of your strength. Let's put in another pronoun. You're not serving others out of your strength. You're serving others out of my strength. Oh, and by the way, <laughs> that never runs out. We've heard the story, but watch the end. I know you know this, but I hope you feel it and you see the character of this God that reaches to his 12 tired disciples and says, it's all me. I got you and I never run out. And I, I just got to tell you, I say this a lot from the front, but I would tell them like this. If Haven was here, I'd have him come up front and be my object lesson. It's me. Whack. Flick. How are you not getting it? And he doesn't. He's like, it's me. Here, have this great meal. Feed everyone else. And then you can all go and gather all the rests. In fact, 12 baskets, one for each of you. Lest you think, like he saw that there was leftover, but I didn't get to see that there was leftover. So uh, they answered, we have, I'm going to read from halfway through verse 13 on. They, we have five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 were there. But he said to his disciples, have them all sit down in groups of about 50 each. And the disciples did so. I'm like, maybe that makes it seem smaller. Nope. 100 groups of 50 people sitting around. <laughs> I think that makes it feel bigger. Okay. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. 
It's not like our little communion wafers over there. Like, they were hungry, they ate, they were full and rested. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And I'm, I, again, I've read this story a million times, but I'm, I'm wondering what that would be like for the 12. This is what's going through my mind. If, say, I'm one who's serving him and I'm all out, like I got nothing left, didn't mean for that to be the tagline of the whole sermon, but it's, you know, and I'm, I'm giving and giving and giving, and I sit down, and because I gave from him, there's so much more that I can go and just collect and collect and collect. And that is the nature of the God that calls us to serve. And I know that an application from that is like a little tricky. Sometimes it's really practical. Uh, I was reminded this week of a story that I lived through and shared once and had just sort of forgotten about. I haven't told it in a long time, but this happened to us. And it's interesting because in my own life, God used food in a miraculous way to let me know he was watching out for us. And it was crazy. I might even get some of the details wrong. One thing I will promise not to do is embellish, okay? Whatever I say, if anything, I'm cutting down on what happened. So um, I was getting my PhD, which is really, really hard. If you know any PhD candidates or students or anyone doing that, oh my gosh, it's the hardest, loneliest. It's hard. I don't, anyway, there you go. Um, harder than this stuff. This is like the other side of PhD and it's great. But anyway, so we had, I think we just had Emily and maybe I was pregnant with Haven and we were selling our house and I had a time clock on my um, degree where I had to finish by a certain date or you start over. And I was like, <laughs> never starting over. It was like six years or something, and we're getting close to that. Briefly, what our schedule looked like, Jim worked at three in the morning until about nine or 10, then he got out and went to his summer job, which was teaching infants, and on a good day, he was booked from maybe 10 to five so that we could make it through the year, and then he would drive home, pick up the dinner, I'll fill you in on that in just a second, and go pick up the kids and bring them to me at school and we would eat dinner together in this up and upper room with broken chairs and a microwave that sometimes worked, you know. My day, I woke up at five, nursed the baby, got breakfast and if there was any homeschooling, if school hadn't got out yet, I'd wake up Emily in Haven at five to do homeschooling. I wish I had known like it was an option just to like, I don't know, anyway, I'll stop let them play, and then, anyway, um, I would make the dinner for that night for the whole family because Jim didn't have time to, and I'd have to have it all cooked because there was no place to cook it at school, and that was the only time we'd see each other as a family, and put it in the fridge, and then I would pack my lunch, again, nurse the baby, pack lunch for the kids, and drive them, drop them off with this great family friend who watched them for this one year that we needed childcare 
run into the library so I could be there by about 10, where I would stay till 11 when the library closed, and my break was that the family would come see me for dinner. And then I would get home at 11.30, Jim would already be in bed, Four, three o'clock was the next thing on the clock, and we would just do this cycle six days a week. And Saturday was off. And we had, I think I looked at a bank statement one day for our taxes, and we made like seven grand that year or something. So if you're going like, why don't you just eat out? Ha, 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 here's why. So that's our life. And I'm thinking, we're not going to make it. I'm pregnant with Haven, which is, I'm not a good pregnant person. And one night I get home at 11.30 and I wake Jim up, which is sacred. You don't wake Jim up. He has to work at 3 a.m. And we're just trying to make it through. And I wake him up and I'm in, I'm t I'm in tears. I'm like, I don't know what to drop. There are only three things I do. Try to finish this degree, feed everybody, and take care of the kids. Just which one do I drop? <laughs> I could drop the degree, but even though everyone's telling me there will never be a place for me in this ministry, and that I will, I had to get my job without even letters of recommendation from my faculty who taught me because they didn't believe I should be teaching Hebrew as a female. I have no, nothing ahead of me, but I think because of that, I felt the importance of obeying God even more strongly. And I'm like, I have to do this or I'd be disobedient, but I can't stop cooking for y'all. We have to live. And Jim, who solves every problem in the world for me, I have to literally be careful what I ask for because he will do whatever he can to get it for me. Looks at me after I've woken him up and says, honey, I got nothing. You're going to have to ask God for this one. There is nothing more I can do. And there's nothing less you can do was not helpful, go back to bed. <laughs> we did pray together, which is an extraordinary thing in our marriage. We aren't that like, every night at dinner, you know, we have screaming contests and throw food at each other. We do not sit around and open the Bible and pray. So, but we did pray together and we go to bed. Within a week, I want to say it was the next day, but I don't remember. That would be embellishing. I'm sitting at home it must have been a weekend, like on a Sunday afternoon, the only time I was home. Phone rings, and a friend of mine, whose husband is also a PhD student, who lives 30 minutes on the other side of school in the other direction, I haven't talked to her at all, said, I, have, I just can't get you off my heart. I don't know how you're doing this. I don't know how a family does this. I know Jim's super supportive, but I don't know how you're doing this. We have nothing left in the budget, so I almost didn't call you, but it won't go away. If you give me like $6 a meal, because we ate about the same quality of food, <laughs> that was about what we already spent anyway, I would like to prepare a meal for you because it's got to be exhausting. The only thing is, if I could bring it to school, I don't know if that'll put you out, but it's half the distance for me, and I'm like, that's awesome. Jim doesn't have to drive home. We eat at school. That saves him like 30 minutes. And I, who do not like to ask anyone for anything, am just sucking back the tears. That would be fabulous. And so she goes, what day of the work week works best? Again, it must have been a Sunday, so I was probably like, Monday. <laughs> and she says, OK, how about Mondays and Wednesdays? 
Mondays and Wednesdays? I, two meals? She goes, no, this isn't a one-time thing. Your week is like this every week. within that week had been praying, God, I can't do it anymore. You have to help. And he sends two pre-made meals shortening the trip. I sit down and I'm just like weeping before the Lord. I felt like Hannah. I mean, I didn't get a son. I just got some food, but I'm like just weeping before the Lord. Phone rings. I literally hadn't even wiped the tears and the snot off my face. And I go and I pick up the phone. And a woman, oh, it was the kid's carpool, uh, the kid's babysitter. She said, I saw you on Friday when you dropped off the kids. And I've never seen you look so beat up. And I'm like, I put on a smile. <laughs> like, I don't like people to see my weakness. She said, and it occurs to me, and if you ask my kids, you will hear that this is true. They would sit there every night as she's making this amazing meal and be like, and then dad would pick them up and they'd come get some hamburger helper or something. They were like, she's the best cook in the world, mom. We talked about it all the time. They never said a word to her. And she said, I could send them home with a meal for you guys when Jim picks them up at least once a week. I don't know why I never thought of this before. In fact, I'm apologizing I never thought of this before. I'm so sorry. My kids were so much more elated by her meal than anything else that we did that year. She was a great cook. I sit down, and guess what? The phone rings. And I'm going, the only day that's left is Thursday. <laughs> sure enough, another lady from an entirely different part of town, not affiliated with our school at all, affiliated with church, I do not admit weakness easily, has no idea what we're going through or what these other ladies are doing. And she says, would you be offended? <laughs> Thursday. Thursdays are great. It was crazy. For the rest of my PhD program, this was over a year, folks. Four nights a week. Sorry. Whew. People brought my family food for over because I just couldn't anymore. Yes. No, it's like manna. And then on Friday nights, we ordered pizza because look how much money we saved on food. <laughs> and on Saturdays, Jim cooked, and on Sundays, I cooked, and everything got better. He used food in my life to become so much more than food. And I'm convinced as I read this that that's what he did with the disciples. He uses food to go, hey, rely on me. I know you know I can raise people from the dead. That is so cool. I know you get that, and that shows my power. But do you also understand my intimate care 
and that it's really hard to trust in this abstract, like, I don't just, we don't just go around like, oh, but God can raise people from the dead, so of course, whatever. Oh, I know I don't have enough, but God does. But this is what he's doing in the passage for his people. The lights are blinking back there telling me I'm done, but I'm done. Here's what I want you to see. The God that you serve, and if he's not the God that you serve, the God that we're inviting you to serve with us, calls us to lots of things, and usually they're things he's already gifted us to do. And it comes from his gifts, sometimes ones we're born with, sometimes others, that he bestows on us. And they're from him. And he has enough. And he doesn't just want you to serve others. He wants to sustain you. And we have this kind of hokey saying in the church, but it's so true. You minister then from the overflow. I am standing here with you guys, probably in a joint spirit of, I've got nothing left. We've got men and women in this crowd that have been working in an emergency room since before COVID started. Got financial planners that are supposed to be recruiting whatever business when they're not allowed to meet with anybody. We've got teachers. Oh. And he's saying, it's okay, because it's from me that you are serving. And I've got plenty. There's another symbolism that's so much greater than this bread one. And that is what I'm going to now welcome us to partake in. He uses bread a different way in the scriptures. And he uses bread in the scriptures to say, hey, I gave my very life for you. I who care about you and love you and empower you and then instead of flicking you on the head, give you a little nudge and a boost and a hug, I also died for you. And as believers, one of the things that we do, and in this church we do it weekly, is we take communion, which is a fancy word for a little bit of bread and a little glass of wine, pretty sure it's grape juice here, to remember his body that he gave literally for us and the blood that he shed for us. And if that's too big a concept, it is, it's too big for me, and it just seems crazy, I would invite you this week just to rest as one of those who was receiving a bit of bread or fish. Or gathering it up from the rests. We're gonna have the band sing and lead us. And for those of you who love and follow 
and have surrendered yourselves to him, you want to remember that and acknowledge that by taking communion. It's over in the signs. As you do that, just marvel in the power of him that's inexplicable, inexplicable, and his care for you that is beyond measure. 